Welcome to Thrive, a Paychex business podcast where you'll hear timely insights to help you navigate marketplace dynamics and propel your business forward. Here's your host, Gene Marks. Hey, everybody. It's Gene Marks. Thanks for tuning in. Um, uh, you know, you're about to hear a conversation that I had with uh, Lily Hay Newman, who is a senior writer for Wired magazine. Lily has been writing in technology for a long time, and she covers security. That is like what she does. Um, I joked around in our interview, like, you know, considering what she covers, like, does she live like in a cave in Montana? Like, doesn't all this stuff like terrify her? Um, and it was interesting to hear what her response was. And and you can listen to it because although some of the stuff we talked about is terrifying, just both personally and for our businesses, um, she still lives her life. And she has sort of a, you know, a rationale for what she does to make sure that she stays sane. And I think you'll find that interesting. Also interesting is that we, we talked really about two main things that affect our businesses. Just there, there are many things, but I, we just in the short time we have, we focused on two. Number one is passwords. So are they still relevant? Where are passwords going? Are you using the right passwords? What is she seeing out there in the world of security where passwords are going? And um, will they be replaced by um, authentication applications or multi-factor authentication or uh, biometrics? So we talk about that a little bit. So you know, running your own business what to expect, you know, in the days to come where, you know, because password as a secure measure, that, that's changing and that's going to have an impact on you. Secondly, um, we also talked about ransomware. How can you not talk about ransomware in this day and age? It's a multi-billion dollar business for hackers and uh, criminals that that are, are you know, passing down your, 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 your malware onto people's computers, infecting and encrypting files, then asking for uh, money to give their key to release these, you know, these ransomware files, it's a big issue. So Lily and I talked a little bit about that as well um, so that you can, you know, you can understand the extent that it's out there and also, you know, what people are doing to, to prevent against it if, if they can do anything and uh, just her thoughts on what she's seeing and, and where things are going. So, you know, again, overall security, uh, passwords, ransomware, these are things that impact your business. And and we're hearing the advice for somebody that, that covers this for a living for Wired Magazine. Her name is Lily Hay Newman. And uh, we'll be back with her in just a minute. All right, everybody, we're back with Lily Hay Newman. Again, Lily is a senior writer for Wired. Lily, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So you're a senior writer for Wired. Let's, let's go straight. I want to hear the whole history. How did you make it to where you are now? Start with the seventh grade and just move up. From the, I'm just kidding. Um, how long have you been writing for Wired and where were you in a previous life? Uh, I've been at Wired for about five years. And so that's how long I've been uh, dedicated on the cybersecurity beat. Uh, and before that, I was a tech reporter at Slate and more general interests, tech policy, uh, emerging tech, and also covered a little bit of cybersecurity there. Uh, but it was a much broader focus. Got it. How'd you get into technology? Yeah, I uh, I actually was talking to someone about this the other day, and they said a similar, like, let's go all the way back to the beginning. <laughs> right. And I kind of went a little too far back. So now I, I know how to answer this a little better. Okay. Um, originally, I was, and still am, interested in science reporting. And I did a master's, uh, you know, specializing in that. Uh, and, but, you know, there's a lot more jobs in tech reporting because there's a lot more money in tech. So, uh, you know, and and just these huge, huge societal uh, forces, of course. So uh, I 
got into tech reporting that way. But what ended up happening moving into cybersecurity is that I found that uh, cybersecurity, covering cybersecurity really gives me all the things that I liked about science reporting. I, I think it, they're all sort of on a continuum because, you know, it's uh, engineering based, you know, computer science, computer engineering, uh, you know, hacking has this incredible hands-on or sort of, you know, putting your brains together type of collaboration uh, for better or worse. Sure. Uh, that was really similar to what appealed to me about uh, covering uh, science topics. And uh, it has the same variety, emerging research, you know, uh, totally out of the box, mind blowing stuff, and also really complicated, uh, esoteric aspects yeah. to it. And that's something else I really like to delve into and, you know, try to take something just totally subtle and impossible, you know, to understand and try to give a flavor of that to a lay person. You know, it's funny. I mean, you know, security itself, just, it just, it, it overlaps in so many different areas. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's privacy, privacy and confidentiality and, um, you know, and that's such a big issue for so many of us yeah. nowadays. And then plus it's software, it's hardware, it's various right. devices, it's the internet, it's, you know, plugins to the internet, right? I mean, and it's personal life and professional yep. life. Yes, that's exactly right. It's a, it is that much of an overlap. And and I got to imagine when you first started writing about, you know, security itself, you know, not just technology. I mean, um, some people I talked to in the media, it's like they never expected to be there, but you probably got drawn in to write something in the field. And then because of that, you kind of became a little bit of an expert in it, right? <laughs> just to know what you're writing about. And all of a sudden that sort of you know, mushrooms from there. Is that, is that kind of right? Yeah, definitely. I, um, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to, uh, the, the experts are the people yeah. I talk to for my right. stories. I don't want to overstate it, but I, yeah, I just really, I, what I love about beat reporting and choosing one thing is that you get to meet more and more people in that field over time. And, I uh, just, get a sense of a broader and broader community and its uh, failings and its yep. problems and also the amazing things about it. So uh, that's what I really enjoy is kind of, I, I just, yeah, I got really into security and the intellectual topics behind it, but also uh, just getting to meet more and more people who work on the same thing or the same type of thing. You know, right. obviously it's a diverse field, but I, uh, yeah, there's just something very rewarding and fascinating about building out your own mental picture of a community over yeah. time. No, I agree. I, I agree. All right. So let's talk about some specific security stuff. I mean, you know, like I told you, you know, before we started recording, you know, our audience are small business owners. So there are some specific issues that are, are facing small business owners. I'm going to get to ransomware soon because that's, you know, obviously black. Right. right. But um Let's talk about passwords first, because you've been doing some writing about passwords and the fact that passwords are not yet dead. And, um, you know, Microsoft just, you know, as we're talking here, just very recently have come out with uh, ways that, you know, to avoid using pass, you know, passwords forever on right. some of their products. So, so for starters, talk to me about where you see the state of passwords right now and where you see this going from the aspect of a business owner. Will we still be using passwords uh, a few years from now? 
Yeah, it's a, such a huge topic. I'm just trying to think of how to distill down. But basically, I think one of the key issues with passwords is they've, well, okay. So first of all, just to quickly recap, we all know the issue with passwords is that- One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> right. It's something that you know, and that means it's something somebody else could know, right? right? And right. as you're saying, a lot of us set them to be easily guessable and you know, all, all these sort of flubs that we, we have and, you know, passwords is just so hard to manage them and remember them that yep. you make them really easy. But at the core, the issue is if it's something you could know, it's something somebody else could know and that becomes a problem. Right. right. Um, and so in thinking about this though, because they've been around for so long, and it, and it was just the only option that was being presented. Maybe there were other options out there, but it wasn't available, you know, to regular people. Uh, there's all these systems to make passwords better and make it work. So I think that's part of what's been so complicated in trying to transition away. It's very sort of obvious or clear, like I was saying, what the problem is with passwords and why we need to do something else. But societally, globally, we're so entrenched with this technology. And there are some solutions, namely, you know, multi-factor authentication, two-factor authentication, and password managers, where when used in combination, they're very effective, and they really do improve passwords, quote unquote, a lot. Right. So I think that has been, that's the big hump. And when you're saying, are small and medium businesses still going to be using passwords 10 years from now? Probably yes, at least on a lot of in a lot of, you know, environments and situations. And I think it's precisely because of that combination of there's a lot of unaddressed, uh, you know, unresolved uh, sort of insecure use of passwords, but then also people have invested a lot to yeah. improve their, you know, the security of how they're managing passwords. And so everybody's all in like so to to migrate everyone somewhere else i i just think that's where the inertia is and that's why it's going to take time i hear with uh even with multi-factor authentication and, and guys if you know for those listening just still not familiar with that again that's just you know you, you try to log into your bank's website and you get a text message you know that you have to put in a pin and um you know right, my reading is from, or code that you right, get from an app or text right right and you know and i I've been reading, I, I listened to an episode recently of um, uh, Reply All, which is a great podcast, by the way, on technology. Yeah. And, um, you know, and and they were talking to like a hacker uh, who would voice disguise the whole thing. And, and the guy was like saying how like, it's very easy to get around multi-factor authentication. It's very easy to dupe a phone company into transferring over a number into another phone. And then the text message comes to the hacker's phone and then they get access into your, you know, it terrifies me. Um, that you know, people have can if they really want to, they can get access uh, to our information at the way that they are. I mean, you know, but so multi-factor authentication combined with passwords, you're finding in your reporting that um, it's a it, it's a good thing. It's 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 taken passwords far along, but it's certainly not the be all and end all, right? It's not a guarantee that you're secure. Well, the specific example you're talking about, you're absolutely right. You know, if you're relying on getting an SMS text message. Uh, through your, you know, the telephony network, like, you know, the cell network and to your phone number, 
that is not a secure way to do two-factor. And the right. security community has known that for a long time because of exactly what you're describing, SIM swapping attacks where someone kind of hand of God reaches in and grabs your number and takes control of it. And then the, the texts are coming to them. Right. I, you know, so it's uh, security professionals like to really emphasize using SMS for two-factor is better than nothing. People should do it. It will improve their security, but there are much more secure ways to do two-factor, such as, like I was saying, there are these authenticator apps that you you know connect to your accounts, and then they'll generate random uh, numbers, and it's not related to your phone number. So if your phone is totally compromised with malware, like a targeted attack, you know, attackers may be able to grab those codes, but that it's not very scalable. You know, that would be a personal attack on you or your business. That wouldn't be typical, you know? So in general, those are a much more secure way to go. And you can also get into some of the same technologies that can be used in passwordless can also be used as a second factor of authentication with the password. So things like hardware authentication tokens, like it's like a USB stick essentially that, but it's, you know, designed specially as an authenticator and you plug it in and, you know, you put your password in and then you plug in the hardware authentication token or you, sometimes they could be Bluetooth and you press a button or whatever it is. And then the account says, okay, both of these factors are present. You're authenticated to log in. And so those are much more secure ways to do it. But what you're saying, I think, still makes sense, which is that conceptually, it's kind of a way stop on the journey. Like, why don't we just get rid of the password at that point? Yeah. And use other factors rather than a password at all. Before we get into the other factors, um, you mentioned USB sticks, which also seem, I mean, again, you're, you're physically carrying that around with you. It's like a key, you right. know? And you know, so when you plug it into whatever device that you're on, it's, it's you doing that. Um, you, and uh, my understanding, I mean, I don't see a lot of my smaller clients... Um, small companies in general doing that, you know, I mean, it seems like more like a big company. If you talk to people that work at at Google or any big tech company, many of them are using those USB sticks, aren't they? Right. Right. These are things like YubiKeys and there are other companies that make them, but yeah, there's definitely an investment to roll it out. And like we were saying, you know, I think for small and medium businesses and, and big enterprises also, but, you know, focusing smaller, uh, the thing is you you need to invest where you can. And, you know, there's limited resources a lot of times and you kind of get committed to a path that you're on. So, you know, a, a small or medium business that wants to like really prioritize doing hardware authentication tokens, that's great. I'm all, you know, I support it. And they can do it, but that's like really making that a priority one year in the budget or whatever. And, and, you know, because it's also time and expertise of uh, IT professionals or security professionals to get this stuff set up. Uh, So that's why probably, you know, you may not have seen it as much and it may not be out there as much, but it just depends whether there's room to prioritize that and just go all in on that infrastructure. And then it's there, you know, so it just depends. Um, how about biometrics? You know, I mean, we, we hear about fingerprints, eye scans, you know, even voice recognition all being right. used as part of, uh, you know, as part of face recognition, as part of security. You know, do you think that type of technology will ultimately replace passwords? Do you think it will become ubiquitous among particularly smaller companies someday? 
I have a lot of thoughts here. So again, I'm going to try to condense it in. Bring them on. Okay. <laughs> but I, uh, uh, so that's definitely where uh, things are moving right now in terms of password lists. That you know, Microsoft, for example, it's not the only option for things like Windows Hello, the Windows you know, uh, uh, no password authentication. Uh, it's not the only option. You can use hardware authentication tokens. You can use other things we were talking about. But biometrics really are the the first choice, let's mm-hmm. say. Uh, and the reason for that, you know, we were saying passwords are something you know, and somebody else could know it too. Uh, biometrics are something you are, mm-hmm. and you know, other they're it's not always perfect uh, on the technical system side, but in terms of you as a human nobody else can be who you are like that part is perfect you know there can be bugs i keep telling my kids that but they don't buy it yeah there you're perfect just the way you are (laughs) (laughs) um but so you can see why it's such an appealing authenticator because it's the essence right it's like that's who you are and it's uh there's no proxy it's just like you want the sure. the the account or the device to know it's you, and they are. It's you. You know, it's it's your heartbeat right. or your fingerprint or your. And it seems eyes. like the technology is there. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, you know, for, to do like eye scans. I, I mean, I. It's I, pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good, but I guess is it is it the cost? I mean, do you in your reporting do you see more and more biometrics there as a security protocol? And I'm assuming if you do, it's more larger companies that you're seeing this at? Like, is it out there? Well, well, first of all, and here's where we get into like all of my thoughts, you know, uh, yeah, it's definitely ubiquitous because it's in consumer devices. You know, we got fingerprint scanners on Android phones, you know, maybe not like low end Android phones, but medium and certainly like, you know, flagship phones. It's very, you know, very standard. Uh, Apple sort of famously, you know, popularized face ID. It's not the only consumer facial recognition, but it's like, you know, one of the most prominent. Uh, And a lot of that, you know, the crucial thing in terms of security is that those systems authenticate, meaning like check their record of your face print or, you know, fingerprints or whatever, locally against what the camera is seeing Mm. or what the sensor is seeing, Mm. meaning not sending it off to the cloud, not sending it to a server somewhere. It all just happens on the device and it stays on the device. And that's the most secure way to implement this. And Mm. a lot of, uh, you know, ubiquitous tech has it now, you know, consumers can get it small, medium businesses, you know, big enterprises, everybody has, you know, at least some of this available to them now. Okay. But, you know, I, the, the huge hesitation for me and, you know, based on my reporting, I I think a, a lot of other experts feel this way, but there is just kind of this question of, well, what would be better? You know, it's kind of like passwords 40 years ago. It's like, it just kind of happens, you know, and uh, the the concern is if your fingerprints or a face print is stolen somehow, even though those systems are very well designed and they're very secure, that's you, it forever. You are in trouble. Yeah, that, that's, that's it. A problem, right? Because you only have one 
face, right. you only have 10 fingerprints, you yeah. know, whatever. Right. Uh, certainly things like, you know, heartbeat or, you know, uh, electrical, uh, uh, you know, fingerprint of your heart impulses or something like you're not going to be able to change that. Right. So, and, you know, there have been like very already for years, some very uh, no- notable situations in which large quantities of biometrics were stolen. Awesome. Uh <laughs> Cool, right? Yeah. Not from those local everybody's stuff stays on their own device systems that I was talking about, but from centralized repositories. So yeah. the, one of the ones that really comes to my mind is, you know, the U.S. government uh, Office of Personnel Management breach right. uh, back in 2015, I think, 2014 or 2015, um, that had uh, tens of millions of passwords in it, uh, right. passwords. Biometrics. Biometrics, like fingerprints, I'm sure. It also had passwords. But, you know, tens of millions of, I think it was around 30 million, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, fingerprints uh, that had been collected related to uh, background checking candidates and things Uh, like that. Right. So it's already been, you know, six, seven years since that happened. And those are just out there forever. You know, it's not like, yep. well, it took a while to fix it, but a couple of years later we worked it out. That's just it. You know, those people's, uh, but that, th- that biometric data is just out there forever. And I, I, I am wary of that, right. you know? Right. And I, I, I just, yeah. Yeah. So am I. I mean, you know, it's, I guess we have to understand that none of this is completely secure. I'm not, you're terrifying me. Cause I'm thinking of like TSA, uh, you know, you know, when I come back, the global entry system, I use my fingerprints. Right. So that's clearly stored by the government. And I'm sure they're doing a wonderful job securing that. And I'm completely fine and don't have to worry about that being hacked. So, uh, yeah, it puts it, it gives a lot of pause to business owners. But OK, so my takeaway is, is that um, biometrics are probably more secure. They probably, you know, more secure even than just passwords or even right. multi-factor authentication. But there is still that risk. And there's this giant risk that if they do get stolen, then that's like a lifelong problem for a human being. And that is uh, a risk that's out there. Okay. So Lily, let me, I'm going to now pivot a little bit. So we talked about passwords and biometrics, Um, you know, in, you know, I I love to spend even more time on this, but let's, let's talk about ransomware. Okay. We got to do it. We got to do it. It's obviously it's everywhere (laughs) and it's affecting everyone, including small businesses. So um, I'm going to ask you to please terrify me and my audience about ransomware. Go. Um. <laughs> well, yeah, ransomware is uh, just on the rise, or sort of it. It has been a really major presence for many, many years, and I'm sure I'm not telling you know listeners and and viewers anything new with that. Uh, but it just you know it continues to be unrelenting, and I yep. think. You know, the terrifying part, I guess, for especially, you know, if we're thinking about small and medium business, you know, a lot of the super terrifying stuff is like huge, uh, you know, critical infrastructure being targeted and things like that. But to the extent that, you know, small and medium businesses could be something like a dentist's office or an accountant or, you know, uh, like a contractor who works on food supply or, you know, any anything uh, water, you, you know, any utilities, any type of, uh, you know, contractors working on that. You're exposed to it. It, you know, it really could be.
be, and, and I mean, it can be a huge threat to any small and medium business, but just sure. like, you know, that fear uh, and uh, urgency is there uh, for, I think, any entity of any size. So if, you know, as a reporter for Wired, though, um, am I right? And, and be for real here. I mean, if you're going to report on a story, you're going to lean more towards the ransomware attack that happened on something that's more recognizable, a company that's recognizable, like you said, infrastructure, uh, right. you know, you know, the government, large companies, because that's what gets, you know, eyeballs. And, but, and go but ahead. I got to say, the, it's not just that that's what we're going to lean towards. You know, small and medium businesses tend to be not wanting to disclose or, right. or publicly talk about, uh, you know, I'm not trying to sort of accuse anyone about, uh, I understand. you know, <laughs> disclosure obligations. But, you know, you don't really want to talk about or call attention to the fact that you've had a ransomware attack if you can avoid it. So, you know, the Colonial Pipeline couldn't just couldn't hide that something was going on because right. it's pretty obvious that there's no gas at the pump, you know, right. but right. if you're a sort of a small organization and, you know, you're maybe grind to a halt for, you know, days or weeks and, you know, I, I don't wish it for anyone, but if you can kind of not talk about that, that's the way that small and medium businesses tend to go. They don't really want to sure. publicize so and, you're not finding you're not finding out about it as much, um, right. you know, as a reporter. Even At if least you, not on the record, right? That's fine. And, and also, if you're if you even sniff that there's a problem somewhere, like you said, you you your business owners, like myself, we no offense, we don't really want to talk to you about our private business right. and whether we are attacked. So so there's that as well. Um, and I'm always making the pitch, and while <laughs> I'm here, I'll make the pitch to all all the listeners out there. You know. Yep. I think it would be constructive and valuable and would reflect positively for organizations to start coming forward, you know, and having some of this stuff reported out to destigmatize and really create more resources for themselves, you know, and I'm not trying to put the onus or the blame on, you know, victims of these attacks. It's sure. not anyone's fault if this is happening to their their business. But I'm just always trying to make the pitch, you know, the reason reporters are wanting to get information about these attacks out there is not to drag anybody's name through the mud or to, you know, uh, blow up their spot, shall we say. Right. But, you know, to raise awareness that it's a huge issue with small and medium businesses too. And that is the, the, the thing that I think that a lot of my clients don't really recognize is that, you know, they hear about the big companies and the utilities and the transportation systems being attacked. You don't hear as much about small businesses being attacked for the reasons that you just said. Right. Um, and yet, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming as somebody who covers this stuff, you're, at the very least, your sense is, is that many small businesses are being attacked. They're just not talking about it. Yeah. And one of the reasons I was hesitating right when you said, you know, okay, blow, you know, knock our socks off about ransomware <laughs> is that really the threat that I think small and medium businesses are dealing with the most, not to say they aren't dealing with a lot of ransomware, but is business email compromise, you know, phishing right. and then having either, you know, your email spoofed or your own email systems uh, infiltrated. And, you know, the attackers are sending invoice fake invoices to contractors and all this stuff is you know going on or customers uh, and BEC is like a huge 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 threat to small and medium businesses and it's also a tough sell to get people to ever talk about that 
you yeah. know, ransomware, again, even small and medium, sometimes you just can't avoid people finding out. But business email compromise, you, you really can, you know, nobody's going to know it's just your money being taken, just quote, unquote, you know, so those really, it's very hard to get uh, uh, organizations to go on the record about their experiences. And if it was going to go away, I, I would, I, I would get it, you know, I, I totally understand. But, you know, these threats are not going anywhere. So to me, the only path is to destigmatize and to talk about, you know, what went well, what could have been better, and, you know, kind of all start to share and collaborate more. You know, you talk about phishing, that's P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. And again, right. that's, uh, you, know, a, you know, an email that pretends to be something else or from somebody that you might know or uh, from a legitimate site that's really not. And, you know, it leads you to an illegitimate site, you click on a link, and then that downloads malware. And, or steals your passwords. Steals your passwords, and now, like the latest thing is smishing, right? Which is SMS texting uh, phishing. You know, same thing because we're getting starting to get all these spam text messages on our phones, and I know uh, that I am as well. And, you know, you bring up a really good point. I mean, I anecdotally, the 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 clients that I deal with and the people that I talk to when they are hit by a malware attack, emails being stolen, passwords being stolen, like you said. You know, you the, one, the majority reason why tends to be just us, and I mean me, being dopes. You know, we're not trained well. You know, we don't, we don't, we click too fast. We don't really recognize it. You know, we don't, we're busy doing other, it's like a, it's like human error, you know? And it, it seems to me that you're right. If, if more small businesses were to report these things or be open to having people like yourself write about them, you know, that would help the overall awareness of the issue and might help, you know, people getting more educated about how to identify this stuff. Yeah, I I, I don't want to be blaming anyone for, <laughs> you can blame me, you know, click it. The thing <laughs> is, you know, we, I totally get what you're saying. And, you know, when sometimes it's happened to everyone where, where you, you know, click something from CVS pharmacy, and then you're like, wait, was that really CVS? You know, we've right. all been there. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. So, but right. the thing is, you know, it's it's not really human error because phishing is designed to get people to click. So when you do fall for it, you're, uh, you know, meeting someone's expectations or you're fulfilling the thing that the scheme is set yeah. up to achieve. So yeah. you're really doing the right thing. It's, it's just wrong, you know? So, yeah. but I, I mean, I completely agree with your pitch. Please everyone send me your hot tips, like by Fair all enough. means. Fair enough. So the final question, okay, we've talked about all the you know, two major security issues and all the things that could result from it. You cover security. You've been doing it for a while for Wired and um, even before that. So just share with us. I'm assuming you live in a cave somewhere in Montana and you're afraid to leave. You're just not, right? You've got no technology whatsoever. Even the fact that we're having this conversation right now is making you nervous. Is that, is that Yeah, true? I had to, um, you know, I keep my safe in, under a pile of rocks <laughs> gold, and gold inside bars. is right, no, in, my, in all seriously, how do you, I, I am curious, like it, it, sometimes it's, it's better to be dumb and happy, you know? Um, you know, you're not dumb. You know about all of this stuff. So I'm just kind of curious, how do you deal with this? You know, these, all of the threats, you personally, that yeah. you know about. Um, how, how do you deal with that personally? So, 
There's a few concepts that are relevant here. I, I'm not going to go into all of them, but I have you know written about them on Wired. So, but okay. the one that uh, speaks to me most is this concept called the attack surface. Uh, and the you know an attack surface is all the windows and doors in a house, basically. Okay. You know, and and also could somebody dig a tunnel? under your foundation and jackhammer from below and could they you know that's the attack surface like what is how do you get it what are all the different ways they could get into the house and could they fly in from above and rappel down or you know (laughs) so and the reason i find attack surface to be uh, right and obviously i I was sort of joking around but this we think about this in the digital realm as well like what are all the different uh points of entry and egress, you know, for data. And the reason I find this concept really useful is it, maybe we could also call it like harm minimization. It's like, if you, if there's less attack surface to work with, that's better. Okay. You know, so that's what I try to do is just minimize where, minimize where it's feasible. And I, a lot of, I'll just give one brief example. Uh, you know, smart speakers are a really good example of something where for me currently in my life, I, I just don't need it. Not needed. <laughs> like, I just don't need it. So w- for me, why expand my attack surface to include like, what if I have an Amazon Echo and there's some bug and hackers could exploit it or whatever's going on? For me, that does not need to you know, be something that's making my attack surface bigger. But, Mm. you know, there's real accessibility issues, real uh, like life circumstance issues that could make a smart speaker really crucial to someone's quality of life. Uh, You know, if we've mobility stuff, if you are a parent and you have, you know, you're holding kids in each hand and juggling all this stuff, you know, suddenly being able to get information or, you know, set reminders or calendar or do whatever you need to do, make calls with your voice is a huge quality of life thing. So my, 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 my father-in-law is like 150 years old and he's not very mobile and, uh, and he has an Amazon Alexa and he talks right. to him and he plays him classical music and all that. I mean, it's like, it's, it's sustaining him. He loves right. it. You know? That's yeah. That, and you know, so I think that that's why the attack surface concept is helpful to me because otherwise exactly. you, you would just have to go to a cave. But I think about like, it's, it's just about what do you, what do you really need to do? What is just not going to be practical in your life to avoid? Right. And then what what could you cut? You know, right. what could you cut out? I, I don't. I also don't use like a you know, fitness tracker. I don't. You know, I I don't use a lot of smart uh, smart tech or right. you know Internet of Things devices. Try to minimize that as much as possible. But you can't. Like you're saying. I mean, the ultimate. Internet of Things device is my phone and have it with me all the time. So, you you know, I'm not going to get to zero, but just reducing that attack surface as much as possible, I think, is good advice for anyone. Lily Hay Newman is a senior writer for Wired. Lily, that was awesome. Thank you for your advice um, and insights on what you're reporting on. We've, again, I've scratched the surface of questions I wanted to ask you, and um, (laughs) we'll definitely have you back if you'd like to come back. Because uh, there's, we, we have, you mentioned Internet of Things, and that's another big issue from a security standpoint that that yep. is affecting and will affect many small businesses. And I think we need to we need to raise awareness about that. But for now, I just uh, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. Stay safe out there, everyone. You too. Take care. Do you have a topic or a guest that you would like to hear on Thrive? Please let us know. Visit payx.me forward slash Thrive Topics and send us your ideas or matters of interest. Also, if your business is looking to simplify your HR, payroll, benefits, or insurance services, see how Paychex can help. Visit the resource hub at paychex.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Paychex can help manage those complexities while you focus on all the ways you want your business to thrive. I'm your host, Gene Marks, and thanks for joining us. Till next time, take care. This podcast is property of Paychex Inc. 2021, all rights reserved.